Does God ever change your plans? He changes mine quite a bit. And this morning, I had planned to preach something different. But as I prepared, God gave me a different word. And so I want to share that with you today. I sensed him saying, speak about grace. It's all about grace. Grace is something that many Christians associate with the New Testament, with the coming of Jesus. And Jesus was an ambassador of grace, and um, he was speaking on behalf with a special mission from the Lord to, sh- to give to us a message of grace, that we can turn from our sins and that we can turn to, Christ, to God and find forgiveness and restoration. So he had that special mission. And it comes through very clearly in the New Testament. But Jesus is God, and the God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament. Grace is there through it all, if you have the eyes to see it. God is God, he is a God of love, and he is full of grace in both the Old and the New Testament. And today the message is all about grace. In the Old Testament, it was God's plan that the Israelites leave slavery in Egypt and travel to the promised land. In Deuteronomy, it's not a book that I've preached from a lot, Deuteronomy, not one that, of the people's favorite books of the Bible, the fifth book of the Bible, the fifth book of Moses. And in Deuteronomy, Moses gave his final instructions to the Israelites before he died, before he handed over power to Joshua, who was going to leave, who was going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. In Deuteronomy, Moses makes it clear that God is full of grace. Even in the Old Testament, I want you to hear these words from the ninth chapter of Deuteronomy, and we'll read verses one through six. Listen, O Israel. Today you are about to cross the Jordan to take over the land belonging to nations much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. The people are strong and tall, descendants of the famous Anakite giants. You've heard the saying, you can, who can stand up to the Anakites? But recognize today, that your Lord, that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out, just as the Lord has promised. After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it is not because it is not no it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way it is not because you are such good people or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land the lord your god will drive out these nations ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors abraham isaac and jacob you must recognize That the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are stubborn people. That's full of grace, if you think about it. It was God's grace that gave the promised land to the Israelites. 
It was not because they were good people. It's not because they deserved it. It was because God wanted to give it to them. That's sort of the definition of grace. Grace is God giving when we don't deserve. And it was God who overcame the giants for the Israelites. It it was not because they were such good people. They were not good people. They were stubborn and they were rebellious, but God is full of grace and power. And he was able to even overcome the giants that withstood them. They had fortress cities, and yet it was God that fought for them. It wasn't because they were talented and had a great army. It was because of God's helping them. God came as Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus came to deliver people from a different kind of slavery, slavery to sin. What God did in the Old Testament for Israel foreshadowed what Jesus does for all in the New Testament. Jesus leads his people into the true promised land. When we put our faith in Christ and follow him as Lord, we have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. And it's all about grace. It's not about what we have done. It's not because we are such good people. It's because of God's grace. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it sort of sums this up very succinctly. Where it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Grace is God's undeserved kindness doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. On the cross, Jesus atoned for our sin. Those who trust and follow Jesus are no longer guilty of sin. If you trust Jesus and turn from your sin and follow him as Lord, God saves you and you are no longer guilty of sin. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are set free and you are part of God's kingdom. Grace is hard to fathom, especially God's divine, infinite grace. And Christians often struggle to comprehend the amazing grace of God. We sense that God is perfect and he is holy. We know it intuitively and we know it also from the Bible. God God is high and he is glorious and his standard is glorious. He is perfect and holy. And we read things in the scripture about, he says, do not murder and do not steal and do not commit adultery. And we we see these rules and we oftentimes when we read them, we see how we fall short. And Romans 3.23 confirms it where it says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And then in Romans 6.23, it tells us the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God 
is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We obviously fall short. We fall short. And so maybe we think, well, I've fallen short in this area of my life, so I'll try to make up for it in some other way. We obviously fall short, and so we try to add things to make up for it. We add all kinds of rules, trying to earn God's love and favor. We call this self-righteousness. We try to make up for it. And so we can add all kinds of different rules, and throughout the history of people, they've added different kinds of rules. Uh, I don't drink, or don't smoke, or go to church, or give to the poor, or, you know, adding up all of the different righteous things that you can do. And different religions throughout history have tried to add all different kinds of ways. Don't, don't eat meat. Don't eat cows. Don't do this. Don't do that. Meditate all day long. Don't marry, uh, or do marry, or, you know, all of, think of all the different kinds of rules different religions have come up with to try to help people feel like they're righteous. <coughs> but we, we can't. It just doesn't work. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had come up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different rules to try to show that they were righteous. But if you fall short on one single rule, you fall short on them all. And so the other opposite end of that was that some people just reject God altogether. They say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there really is a God. Or if they do believe in God, they say, why should God be able to tell me how to live my life? I'm just going to live it the way I want to. And so they go the opposite end of self-righteousness. They reject God. They reject his ways of living. They reject his holiness. And they say, I'm just going to live however I want. And so we run into more and more selfishness, greed, indulgence, wastefulness, wasting the things of this world, using people and using the resources of the world around us for our own pleasure and gain without any thought of the consequences or anything because it's all about me and the world is always full of people living on both ends of that spectrum between self-righteousness and rejecting God and even church people will often struggle with this and you've known people like that on the one hand, there's the prodigal son that goes off into the foreign land and just, you know, squanders his life and lives a sinful life. But then on the other hand, there's the person that sits right next to you in church or you've someone who you've known that goes to church every Sunday and they just are so self-righteous, but they have no love in their heart and it's all about... Look how good of a person I am, and I'm so much better than you. You've known people like that? That's not God's plan. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came as an ambassador of God's grace. His death on the cross saves us. 
His blood is our atonement. Our sin debt is canceled and our ransom is paid. Ephesians 2, 9 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It is God's grace, not our own self-righteousness, that saves us. Guess what that means? It means you don't have to feel guilty anymore. It means you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to worry about whether or not God loves you. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus in you. And so if you think about the kinds of things that God said to Jesus, if you are trusting and putting your faith in Christ, if you're repenting of your sins and turning to God through Christ, he says those things to you. So you can uh, imagine God looking at you and saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Or this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. You don't have to be guilty or ashamed. And you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear hell or punishment. You are saved. And you are already a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, both now and for all eternity. So now you can live without fear and without shame or regrets. Live as royalty because that's what you are in Christ. But sometimes after people start following Jesus, they can still slip back into another form of self-righteousness where they try to justify their behavior. They say, well, Jesus has already forgiven me of my sins, so I can live however I want to. And so they continue to live sinful lives. They continue to do things they know is not pleasing to God. Even though they know they shouldn't, they still do it willfully because they say, well, Jesus has forgiven my sins. I can do whatever I want to. And in doing so, they become slaves to sin. God loves us, and he doesn't want us to be slaves. He wants us to be free. He wants his sons and daughters to be free, and not just free in principle, but actually really free. In other words, God wants you to be free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has the power to keep you captive. Sin no longer has the power to keep you in chains. Jesus' death on the cross ripped the gates of our prison cells clear off the hinges. And we can walk out anytime we want. Without Christ, without Christ, the doors the bars are locked. You're stuck inside. You can't get out. But because of Christ, when you turn your life over to him, he rips the doors off of the prison. 
Some of us are still sitting inside a prison cell. We're sitting on the bed and the door isn't even there anymore. But we never walk out. We can leave any time we want by the power of Christ. We can stay in our jail cells and we can try to justify it. We can say, well, I can keep sinning because God already forgave me. And then you just stay there in the jail cell with the doors wide open, but you never leave. Or you may say, I just can't change the way I am. Sometimes, the, the truth is, sometimes we've grown so used to our sins that we're uncomfortable leaving them behind. It's like the guy that's been in prison his whole life and then he doesn't know what to do with himself when he finally is free. I think they call it becoming institutionalized. Don't become institutionalized to your sins. You are free. If you trust in Christ. God wants his children to actually be free. God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside everyone who follows Christ as Lord. He gives us the power to break free from sin. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. If he can raise Christ from the grave after three days, then he can raise you out of anything that you feel trapped by. So get up and walk out of your prison. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that through Christ we can be set free. If we will believe in him and turn away from our life of sin and follow him, then we can be free from guilt and shame and fear and brokenness. We can begin, even now, to live out the eternal rewards of your kingdom as royal sons and daughters of the Lord. And we have the hope that in eternity... All of the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of this world will be washed clean. And we will become new people. And we will live in your new creation where all is perfect and right as you originally planned it to be. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here today who needs to recognize this. And to recognize that it's 
not because of anything we have done or left undone that we are saved, but it is because of your amazing grace. I pray for all of us here today that we would accept this, that we would absorb it into the very center of our being, that your unconditional love is there for us and your forgiveness is real and your power can lift us up and lift us out of any prison in which we lock ourselves. Give us your Give us your grace and power today and help us to receive it with open arms. In the name of Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we pray. Amen.